Good morning and welcome. I am Karen Broadhead, the Parent Support Specialist for Life-Changing Services and the Founder and Director of Mothers Who Know, and I want to extend a special welcome to you this morning before we get started. We have some great information for you, but first I just wanted to honor what angels you are and tell you how incredibly grateful we are that you're here. So thankful for connecting with other women who understand what it is like to try to apply spiritual truths in um, a mess, in murky places because of the opposition that we all have in our lives and the things that we love so dearly. I just felt so impressed this morning before we get started, and I actually asked Maurice if I could read this. It just kept coming to my mind, so I said, are you reading this? Is this why this is coming to my mind? But I think I'm supposed to read it, so I just love Maurice's topic today, and I have so much respect and admiration for Maurice and his efforts. In fact, I said to him this morning in a text, just because I had just finished, because now that I've learned what it is to be an atmosphere angel and how to stay by the tree, I was having a talk this morning with my son, and I could tell he's not in his divine identity, like he's in a really tough place. I could see it in his face the way he was feeling and acting. And I just was so grateful after talking to him that the spirit helped me to, to know how to use my warrior mother heart to say things that supported God's work with my son. And so I was so excited about it working because you know how you try things all the time and you're like, that didn't work. And that didn't work either, but this did. And so anyway, I said to Maurice, and I think it's important that you know, if you don't know who Maurice Harker is, I just said, hey, thanks for being a strong man of good courage who fights to show up in a way that sends waves of fear into the enemy's camp. And then I just said, love your guts, brother. So he's so generous with his time to serve women and mothers. And we're so grateful that he's here. But this is the quote I felt to read. This is by Jeffrey R. Holland. And I just think it's so brilliant to consider as it relates to Maurice's topic. He said, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have hope from both sides of the veil. And you must never forget that when disappointment and discouragement strikes, and they will, you remember and never forget that if our eyes could be opened, we would see horses and chariots of fire as far as the eyes can see, riding at reckless speeds to come to our protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven in defense of Abraham's seed. And that is what I could bear witness of this morning as I, the Spirit helped me to know what to say to my big, awesome boy man. And I'm so grateful for you to be being here today and welcome you. I'm going to turn the time over to BJ who has some information for you and to introduce Maurice. Hi, everybody. We would like to just welcome you today. I appreciate what Karen just shared. It's such a, it's true, right? It's, it's, and we just having that at the front of our mind is just, it just elevates everything and gives us a sweet perspective. So thank you, Karen. Karen is the founder and director of Mothers Who Know that um, one of the sponsors for this Stay by the Tree messages of hope webinar series we just we love her courageous heart and just appreciate her the love that she has as she kind of stands in front of a lot of women and says come over here let's hang out with the savior and let's learn about some things that will just be so helpful for us and this is one of the things so we we love that and we love that you're here with us the the format for today Maurice will be presenting we'll have time for a Q&A with Maurice so we like to try and really stump Marie. So we're going to work on that today and see if we can do that today. But we just appreciate him so much for being here and presenting as well. So this webinar is sponsored by Life Changing Services, which is a team of Latter-day Saint professionals who provide gospel-centered training and healing. And Maurice is the founder and director of Life Changing Services, and we'll share a little bit more about him. And also Mothers Who Know, and Mothers Who Know is an online faith-filled gathering place for Latter-day Saint 
women who are wanting to find support and connection and training and also hope because of um, Christ being such a part of that foundational part of it. And we know as mothers, we're navigating, you know, just tricky things like Karen just mentioned. And we would just invite you to go to motherswhoknow.org if you haven't already to find some of those resources that are offered there. This is the scripture that we love for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the one from 2 Timothy 1.7. We just wanted to also invite all of you to join us for the the next mom power training. It's one of those neat resources that are provided by Mothers Who Know and Life-Changing Services. And it's just an eight-part self-guided training and that has weekly live mini classes that are on Zoom. And the each of the eight lessons are done by Karen Broadhead. And Karen has been the parent support specialist for life-changing services for over 10 years and just has rallied women and been such a good support for mothers. And we just want to invite you to to join us for that. It's just a simple 30-second registration, and then you'll be emailed all of the information, the training portal, and lots of different resources that go along with that. So you can register for that at mompowertraining.org, and it really is free, and we just invite you to share this with family or friends or any other women. It's just been just something that has elevated and added to lots of our lives. And we see lots of new women here and we just extend that invitation to you as well. Just one quick thing about mom power training. I'll just use my own thoughts here. It's just it is packed with proven scientific principles combined with spiritual truths. And each of those eight lessons, I just tried to sum it up by saying, just gives us as women, as Latter-day Saint women, a way to link arms with other like-minded women. Also, set powerful spiritual habits in motion. I love that. And then also connect the dots between spiritual truths and also scientific principles. And right in the middle of that, we just elevate the way that we think and feel and act and We commonly say that there's always a message and even a miracle right in the middle of any mess. We love that. We wanted you to know also just the name of this webinar series, Stay by the Tree. Just a little bit more about that. As mothers, we understand that we, the worry and the fear that we can feel hoping to make sure our loved ones find the Savior. And so the name of this series, Stay by the Tree, comes from that scriptural account in the Book of Mormon that we call the Tree of Life vision, where Lehi shares and beautifully depicts that the best place for us to stand while we are beckoning to loved ones on their journey is right next to the Savior. Lehi beckons and he invites and he speaks with all the feelings of a tender parent. And sometimes he even calls out in a loud voice, yet he never leaves the tree. He never forces others to him. He just invites. And so we just find that um, standing safely by the Savior and partaking of the fruits that he generously extends is the best place for us to feel peace and hope. And we love this last part that is just like even in the middle of heart. And so we love to uh, share that as well. Today's message of hope is a presentation by Maurice Harker, and it's on that scripture from 2 Kings 6.16, that is, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Karen referenced that as we started today. And so, so excited to hear from him. We just wanted to share just a little bit more about Maurice, our friend. And and I've had the opportunity to just hear from him and have him join for so many things that, that help lots of people, but women and mothers in particular, and just benefited so much from the little, there's never been a time that I've been in a meeting with him or met with him when he doesn't just point to the Savior and use the, the truths of the gospel to help others. So he is the originator and director of Life-Changing Services, which is a mental health counseling agency in Farmington, Utah. But Life-Changing Services has grown into a nationwide provider with over 20 clinicians, and they serve over 1,000 clients per week. So he's also the founder and director of the Sons of Helaman program, which is a sexual self-mastery training program, which he started in 2005. So the Sons of Helaman program has just helped thousands of young men 
get in a place of recovery from the trap of pornography and also other sexual related issues. And Maurice has also started several other programs that are a part of life-changing services. So please um, go to lifechangingservices.org to find out a little bit more about some of those programs that can be so helpful for different members of your family and different common challenges of our time. We can sometimes use a little extra assistance with, and I have just loved being connected with them and have found um, help for me and my own family there. So I wanted you to know just a little bit more about Maurice. And there's um, three books that he's the author of, like Dragons Did They Fight, a companion book to the Sons of Human program, and I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, and That's Okay. It's a book about healing and building healthy relationships. And also, And the Man Knew His Wife. It's a book to help couples improve quality of their marital intimacy. We wanted you to know that just for a little bit more background information, some of you haven't uh, met Maurice before, but he worked for seven years with LDS Family Services in um, Davis County, Utah. And then in May of 2005, he opened a private counseling agency, which he called Life-Changing Services. And it's interesting because a lot of people will say, we'll try and describe what's happened as they've been involved with some of the programs there. And they'll just say, they'll use the word just life-changing. And I just think, yeah, I've used that too. And I've just so appreciated that. So Maurice earned his bachelor's degree and master's degree from the University of Utah. And so here's a picture of Maurice's family. This is his wife, Nanette, and his daughter, Serena, and son, Nicholas, and his wife. And we just welcome you, Maurice. We are so grateful that you're here. And just thanks so much for your, like like Karen said, we just, we love your guts. We feel like your guts are so good. And we appreciate what you've we've shared here and what you do for all of us. Sound good? Well, thank you. That introduction was uh, big. Holy cow. My my daughter, 19-year-old now, she says, why do people make a big deal out of you? you? Don't they know who you really are, that you're just dad? Like, you're not you're not a big deal. Do I need to get on one of those meetings? He's not a big deal. So in case you're wondering, I'm actually not a big deal. And I'm just going to tell some stories today and share some thoughts. And I hope they are meaningful to you. I decided to just go for a walk with you to just take you for a walk. So I am a a middle child of a nobody family from Potato Land, Idaho. And I had one group of people saying, you are a noble and great one of the final generation. You'll do great things. I had brothers and peers who said, it's funner to throw you in a garbage can and lock you in your locker than it is to take you seriously because you're actually not a big deal. And then my mother, who was just trying to do the tightrope balance between the two, you're a good boy, but you probably should be humble about it. Like she's doing this whole tightrope walk with her son to try to make sure he doesn't go off the deep end to the left or to the right. So when I, my family used, moved to Utah from Idaho when I was a sophomore in high school and I got exposed to the big world of Davis County and Salt Lake City and stuff like that. And I started doing sports and things like that and started to feel like a little bit more of a big deal doing some cool things. I wasn't the top of anything, but I was close to the top of lots of things. And so when they sent me to inner city Detroit as a missionary, I was all prepared to convert the world. I was ready to go. I was filled of, filled with plenty of naivety. And uh, that didn't seem to stop me much, but it was my first experience with not having control of the outcome of things. Like You can't make people get converted. You can't make people do what you want them to do. I'd been able to influence my progress academically if I studied harder, my athleticism if I worked harder at that. But my first experience with you're going to have to involve God in this if you're going to get any results was in missionary land. And we had a lot of conversations because I didn't have radio to listen to or music or or movies or girls to chase or brothers to fight with or homework to do and companions got boring really fast. And so might as well talk to God trying to figure out how you do things out there. Overwhelm was not a familiar sensation with me. Powerlessness was not a familiar sensation. I have reason to believe after interviewing more than one mother that those two emotions are frequent, the overwhelm and powerlessness that you experience. And so part of my hope today is to weave some psychological solutions into those reoccurring feelings. One of the first things I learned as a missionary was how to 
adjust my hope factor to be a little more in harmony with God. He's, you know, you don't have to convert the whole city. You could just focus your attention on the gospel principle from the book, uh, Doctrine and Covenants. If it so be that you shall bring one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy. I was introduced to the starfish thrower poem or a parable or whatever that was. You all heard it where the guy's walking down the beach and he's picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean. And there's thousands and thousands of them. And some I don't know. Someone comes up to him and says, what are you doing? And he's all throwing these starfish into the water. He's all, why? He's all, cuz. And they're so you're not making a difference. Look at all these starfish you're not throwing in the water. And he reaches down and he picks up another one. And he says, makes a difference for this one and chucks it in the water. My testimony of by small and simple efforts, you can do miracles started to sink in at that time. Learning the difference. And okay, this is going to sound kind of nerdy. All right. But that's kind of me. I pulled out a piece of graph paper one day about my nine month mark. And I started listing all the things that represent success as a missionary. And I started noticing two categories. For instance, the number of times I offered a Book of Mormon to somebody versus the number of times someone accepted the offer for a Book of Mormon. The number of people I invited for a first discussion versus the number of people who accepted a invitation for that. And I started coloring things in two colors and found that it became wise to separate effort-based goals from success-based goals. I didn't know this at the time, but over the next 30 years, as I studied an average of one general conference talk a day for 30 years, as I reviewed gospel scriptures, etc., in great detail, that Christ taught effort-based psychology more than he taught results-based, and he was also an example of effort-based work. At no time did Christ walk around saying, I need to make sure everybody gets a testimony while I'm here. I need to make sure people don't sin. He never said things like that. But it's, for some reason, it's become a burden on our modern mothers to make sure as if it was a commandment for you to make sure your kids turn out a certain way. So one of your homework assignments is to re-study the conference talks and the scriptures and see if you can find anywhere where it says you're supposed to make sure somebody else receives salvation and start looking for your job is to teach correct principles, offer correct principles, but let them govern themselves. We can argue later about reward consequence systems that go along with that, but that's not our theme for today. Okay, I got home from my mission and proceeded to do the normal return missionary thing, which is to crash and burn really bad. I was engaged twice my first year home from my mission and ruined both of those. Proceeded to make more women cry for the next few years as I tried to figure out what dating meant and what healthy relationships were like. When I started vigorously studying what was supposed to be a clear and solid education on healthy relationships, uh, a couple of vital concepts started to surface. Number one, the academic world does not take the spiritual world seriously. So if I'm going to understand how spiritual principles apply to psychology, I'm going to have to study them on my own time. But unfortunately, I don't know, for maybe fortunately at the same time, I started to become aware of the dark side of spiritual psychology, the role that Satan plays in messing with individuals, messing uh, in the forms of torment, which by my observation over the years is the number one satanic attack on women and temptation, which appears to be the number one attack on men. Granted, both get some of the other, but my awareness of it at first was fascination. And then I started studying it more. The hints from the Book of Mormon that it was written for our day and the reoccurring theme of battle wars. Um, looking around me and seeing there are no tanks in the street. I don't hear any guns going off. So where's the war? When I started to discover it within the human mind for a little while, there was like walking into the forest as a exploring Nephite and seeing one Lamanite and then two Lamanites and then five and getting nervous when I saw 10 and then turning a corner and seeing 20, coming around another corner and seeing 100, and then finally looking over an edge and seeing 
tens of thousands of Lamanites on their way into the Nephite world. The theme of my presentation today comes from that experience because my anxiety for the well-being of my friends and loved ones and all the clients I haven't even met yet kind of skyrocketed. In 2 Kings 6, in this story, I someone, I don't know who he is, goes and spy where he is. And I may send, this is 2 Kings 6, starting at 13. And I was told, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Verse 14 is where it starts to get rolling. Therefore sent he thither. Do love Old Testament words. They're fun to say and confuse people. I love to type them into Google and have them spell checked regularly. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. I believe in modern language, that means they surrounded the city. And the servant of, the, of man of God was arisen early and gone forth and assume he was stretching his legs and waking up and looked outside and holy cow is probably exactly what he said and his servant said unto him alas my master how shall we do i do love visualizing stories and i imagine that this is an underplay of the actual scenario i'm thinking he ran around we're all gonna die we're all gonna die i'm pretty sure he did not say alas how shall we do? Okay, that would not be normal. Now let's see how this relates to mother psychology for just a moment. I've just found out that people can do things on phones I didn't know they could do. Holy cow. And of course, a mother says, Alas, how shall we do? Because that's how all mothers talk, right? Your junior high kid or late elementary school kid comes home and says, I learned some new words today. Blah, blah, blah. As your ears melt from the new vocabulary your loved one has acquired, the mother says, Alas, how shall we do? Yes, isn't that what we say? I'm grateful for one of the projects that Karen put together a few years ago. How luxurious that you get to have these special children who don't get weird and crazy and rude. Oh, remember that first time they were rude to their mother? Oh my goodness. It's one thing for a child to say, I hate you, and you just laugh it off because it's cute, okay? But when your 15-year-old gets out the emotional stiletto knife and slides it between your ribs and twists it because I've never felt loved by you, mom. I must do drugs because of you. Like, really? Yeah, there's a book out there that says so that if I have any problems, they're your fault because you were supposed to make sure I didn't go off the deep end. All right, so what does the mother say in these moments? Alas, how shall we do? Of course, that's what she says. Because my brain is so invested in the development of young men, I have a tendency to overlook what mothers go through. When she brought to me this concept called mama trauma, I'm all, really? Mamas get trauma? In my perfect Idaho English. And she had to kind of walk me through what it's like to be a mama who has daydreams of the glorious life of their youth. Every time you read a story with them on your lap as a child, every time you clean up the spilled milk, every time you help them tie their shoes, you have visualized a glorious, unusual adolescent life for them because you will have the rare child who does not sin like all the other mother's children. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to talk through the process I went through to let the next verse sink into my brain. I think I had the advantage of some naivety, like maybe I didn't see the whole enemy. Maybe I didn't comprehend how hard it was. I know darn well that I've never been able to empathize with mothers correctly. I've never been able to feel the depth of your fear and the depth of your pain and, the, and your emotional investment. I mean, I had all brothers, eight brothers. And when you teach your brother how to swim, you take him to a lake, you chuck him in and you say, we'll be making a sandwich. Join us if you're still alive in a few minutes. And that's how you raise kids with brothers. And mom always wonders which one of her kids is not coming back this time. Karen's met my mom and that's a that's an experience in and of itself. She is still sane and she does still wear jewelry. It's a cool concept. So ladies, I invite you to, in your journal writing, in your pondering sessions, as you go nose to nose and face to face with your legitimate fears. Now that's, that's important because in graduate school, they promoted the idea of helping your clients identify thinking errors because a lot of your fears are based on thinking errors. You just are seeing the situation wrong. But might I suggest this young man in this story and you are not having thinking errors that there actually is 
danger. There are tons of media influences. There are tons of peer influences. There are tons of technological influences. And so to try to tell you you're just perceiving things wrong is a lie. And so we have to use the resources and the value of the scriptures in order to really have the psychological resilience that is needed. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. While in Detroit, I was aggravated with the traditional forms of prayer that I had been taught because it felt like I was bouncing words off the ceiling. I did some creative imagery and thought of what if I'd been raised on a deserted island where I'd never been taught how to pray. How would I pray? Why would I even pray? And after thinking about it for a month or so, I decided I, I probably would sense there is a God, but I would walk to the edge of the island and tilt my head at a 45 degree angle up and I would just yell, hey, and that's how I would pray. And I've decided as a missionary to try a version of that. Like, hey, what's going on here? What are you, what is, what is happening here? Like, I don't understand all this. I at first thought I was being disrespectful and rude, but when I reread the word sincere, it didn't say anywhere that you had to be like mumbly. I was sincerely scared. I was sincerely confused. I was sincerely clueless. And so I was shocked when God wasn't mad at me, like it was portrayed by my house of origin that you can't talk like that to God, I invite you, if you have not done so yet, to call God up and say, all right, so this scripture, by the way, it's really fun to quote scriptures to God, okay? <laughs> He's a, oh yeah, I didn't know about that one. Thank you, Maurice, for pointing that out to me. But if you look in the New Testament, they, in the Book of Mormon, they quote scriptures from the previous time all the time. So I think it's completely appropriate. So I go to God and it says right here, it says, fear not. And it says this, this guy got to have the experience of his eyes open that he may see. How about we arrange for me to see something like to what this young man saw? Now we might debate for a little while that that's seeking a sign, but let's review Nephi talking about his awareness of what his father had seen in the vision. And when Nephi asked to see what his father saw, the angel did not say, oh no, you're asking for a sign. We're not going to show you what your father saw because you we don't want you to be a sign seeker. Mothers, one of the most greatest powers you can have inside of you to help bridge fear, to help you stay motivated, to help you not get overwhelmed and feel powerless is vision. And you're, you can have vision of your own making where you can see how to put the garden together in the yard. You can see how to quilt as my mother does and she can see the quilt in her head but some things need to be seen through the power and the spirit of god and seeing that those that be with us and the modern version of our own mountain full of horses and chariots if you have not done so already i invite you to with the same spirit that nephi did as he called god and say would it be okay if i see the same vision my father saw i invite you to Ask God, would it be okay for me to see the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire that are around me and my family in whatever form they come in nowadays, whatever symbolism, whatever sensation? We do know that when you look at the history, this is something my wife pointed out to me. I was probably five years into my therapeutic work and I was really digging deep into studying how Satan interacts with men and the temptation process and the emotional aggravation process he puts them through. And of course, I've never been a woman and I don't have familiarity with a day-to-day -day experience of that process. And so when I read the scriptures, I don't always pay attention to the work that the spirit does or the stories that involve the women. And my wife brought my attention to, she goes, I see a pattern. And I'm like, what's that? She says, when, when angels talk to women, they frequently start with the phrase fear not. Notice when Mary was at the tomb. I believe she was told, fear not. Okay, there's a few other stories where they're told, fear not. I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, some version of, don't be scared. I know that you're 
teenage girl and there's a lot of things coming, but don't panic. So mothers, I encourage you to access this story as a nurturing piece of your own vision so that you too can acquire a way of seeing things that only God can give you so you have reason to not fear. Interestingly, one of Satan's tricks on mothers is if you're not afraid, you'll become complacent and then you'll be a measurably flawed mother and we can prove it. So I've seen some mothers say, I'm afraid to not be afraid. And you're like, wait, what? That sounds a little weird. Well, if I'm not afraid, I won't do the work it takes to make sure my kid doesn't sin. I'm all... Did you, can we, can we write that down and look at that sentence for a second? I need to stay afraid so that I'll be afraid enough to make sure my son doesn't sin. I'll just let y'all work through that one and see some of the gaps in that one. Let's change stories now. I want to talk about another experience I had. This topic is, well, it, it wasn't a main issue for me in most of my years of dealing with fear. My main issues have been pride, arrogance, and a few other things in that area, which are often the opposite of fear. But I've had a few scary experiences. BJ showed you some statistics of the life-changing services. My original goal as a therapist was to be a one-man shop, which was to, to just go to work get a decent reputation, take on 40 clients a week, approximately, try to do some good, go home, white picket fence, normal life, the end. I thought that was pretty ambitious for a kid from Idaho. It sounded pretty good. It was my wife that said, you underestimate your capabilities, while everyone else was telling me I overestimated my capabilities. And she says, you have what it takes to influence more people. That's pretty much all I needed was just the idea of oh, I can do more. I had studied enough organizational psychology, etc. No, I can't do more by myself. I had the luxury of hearing early on President Uchtdorf's phrase, lift where you stand, talking about the piano. And so actually, I'm going to jump to this one. I'd been studying the New Testament at the time and trying to ponder new ways of thinking about different verses. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer that you be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may able, be able to bear it. Now, the first dozen times I read this verse, the central focus was on not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able. And so the assumption was that he would never put weights on the bench press more than you could press. He would never put you in a situation that you couldn't win on first try. Well, I started to review some of the other stories like Limhi in the Book of Mormon, the son of Noah, who found himself enslaved by the Lamanites. He put in a pretty hearty effort the first time he tried to escape. I saw the similarities. Trapped, enslaved is likened to an addiction. Trying to escape is like trying to recover from an addiction. And he did not escape. I had met old school bishops who said, well, if he would just try this young man, he could escape this addiction. If he just tried hard enough, we have Moses going into Egypt and he tried to get the Israelites out and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. I had to pay a little more attention to the second part of this verse, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape? And what's not written there is, and it might take more than one effort and it might take more than one try and it might take more advanced technology. It might take some divine interventions. You know, you look at that Limhi story and it was a, a amazing combination of creative ideas, solutions, God-given opportunities, and their own energy, willpower, and effort. So it's a perfect example of what is normal for humans to work to escape things. And so that was another example of those that be with us are more than those that be with them, but you got to put it in a little more down-to-earth perspective that there will be a war. If you look at the story of the sons of Helaman, they all were injured. All of them were injured. They escaped, they fought, they won the war. But when I meet LDS families who are under the impression that once you've sinned, it's game over, and they don't really say that, but they like talk like that's the truth like oh great now my kid's a sinner that when i had him on my knee reading books when i helped him tie his shoes 
we had an understanding there would not be any sinning. I remember my son like was really good at telling the truth up until a certain point, And then he became a liar. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Bad parenting. Of course, it was bad parenting because his parents did not make sure he felt loved. He had to lie. According to some of the books, that's what it boils down to. So please throw those books away that say it's your fault. Otherwise, we're going to have to talk about how it was Eve's fault that Cain killed Abel. Everybody knows it's Eve's fault that Cain killed Abel. Nod with me. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was Sariah's fault that Laman and Lemuel turned out the way they did. Maybe if she had had family home evening one more time. I mean, look at verse one of First Nephi. It says they taught their children somewhat in the gospel. Therefore, we know darn well she missed lots of family prayers and lots of uh, scripture time and lots of uh, family home evenings. Therefore, it is Sariah's fault that Laman and Lemuel, anyone notice how crazy this conversation sounds? Do you, do you see that this is not the right way to approach it? Okay. But it is agonizing to allow the second article of faith to apply for you. Men will be punished for their own sins, not Adam's transgressions. Your children will be punished for their own sins, not their parents' transgressions. Laman and Lemuel will not, or Sariah will not be punished for Laman and Lemuel's transgressions. I know that feels like, well, now you're just making it easy on us. You're just like making it so it's not our fault because uh, it isn't. All right. One more vitally important story, at least a vitally important story for me. A couple of years ago, as, as this organization has grown and part of this phrase, and those of you with us, there are more than those of you with them, in my experience has been above and beyond the angels behind the veil, watching people in real life show up and become part of the good army. Karen was one of the first ones who saw what I was doing and said, what you doing? And I'm all, I'm trying to dig a, a big hole here. She goes, looks like it's a big hole. Do you, you need some help with that? And I'm all, yeah. She's all, I could help. So we talked about different ways to help. And so she got a shovel and started helping. And if you haven't met Lisa, she showed up around the same time. And looks like you're digging a hole. Looks like you're doing something. Yeah. Looks like you could use some help. Yeah, we could use some help here. My brothers are, uh, most of my brothers are entrepreneur businessmen and they, in family gatherings, they'll say, how do you get those people to do stuff? What do you mean? I said, we got to like put consequences on our employees. We have to threaten them. We have to bribe them. I'm all, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. All I do is show up and say, I want to work on something. Anyone want to play in the sandbox with me? And people say, well, I want to play in the sandbox. And we're okay. And I'll do this part and you do that part. And next thing we know, we got this giant sandcastle. It's really cool to look at. And you're like, who, wow, how did that happen? So one of my testimonies is that humans, if you open up to it, one of the, we all know that satanic attack that mothers get. Now, don't go telling other people you or family has issues because then they're going to be talking about you and then your flaws are going to be on the ward newsletter next thing you know. And then they're going to be talking about you as an example of one of those families in the next state conference. So let's not be sharing with other people what's going on about this hole you're trying to dig because... We need to stay isolated and away from others so that you feel more overwhelmed and scared. Yeah, that's a good plan. No, not a good plan. All right. The last story I want to end with, as the company got bigger, as our services got bigger, my attention to detail is not my strong point. And I made some mistakes that started costing the company $5,000 a month. Not, not a big deal, just a little something, something. Okay. Just some record keeping strategies, just some tracking of attendance to different meetings, et cetera, that I overlooked and didn't pay close attention to. And I started feeling like I was sinking in a sinking ship of sorts, if you will. And this was probably in January, February, March time of a few years ago, I think it was 2017. And I'm feeling anxiety at a level I'd never experienced before. And I did my normal thing where I uh, go to general conference and, and I was told the story again from Matthew 14, starting on verse 22, where the apostles are in a boat and there's storms brewing and it's scary and, and it's looking pretty bad. And then they see Christ walking towards them, not knowing who it was at first, but then 
gradually starting to become aware of who he was. And uh, me having a bit of a personality similar to Peter's, I'm all, that looks awesome. I want to do that too. Jump out of the boat, start walking on the water. And then the, the, the story really sunk into me because the feeling of I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I'm drowning, I'm sinking, I'm drowning. And mothers, I want you to t- check to see if you're familiar with that sensation. I'm sinking, I'm drowning, I'm in over my head, I'm powerless, I'm overwhelmed. And as I was sinking and the sensation, watching the storyline of Christ reaching for him and and Peter reaching for Christ, we had to change the wording again. So it made sense to me. And the voice of Christ to me was a little on the sarcastic side. He's all, well, well, don't sink now. And I'm all, what do you mean don't sink now? He said, well, don't sink now. And I'm all, but this is the worst catastrophe ever, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know exactly how the conversation went, except for the part where I says, I've been doing so good. I've been doing really good. He's all, whoa, 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 whoa. You've been doing so good. I'm all, yeah, I've been doing so good. He's all, hold on a second. Look backwards about 20 yards and when he reviewed my business history, he's all, your business history is like Peter walking on water. You've never been good at business. I'm all, what? Wait, what? He's all, you've been walking on water with my help from years ago. And now you think that you are sinking for the first time? I'm all, wait, what? He's all, oh yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been hanging on to you and, and I've been empowering you to do miracles way longer than you thought I was. I can't decide whether to feel comforted or humiliated by that. Like, okay. Like he says, well, don't sink now. Like, it's not like I've abandoned you. It's not like I've abandoned your work. It's, I mean, you're still trying to accomplish the same thing. It's important that you feel a little reminder that you're not in charge around here and it's not on you. You're not going to pull this off, this miracle all by yourself and barely by yourself. Eventually there was a few more parables that came to mind. One of the most important ones is the making cookies with grandma. And I'll close on this before we open up for q and I really like to think I'm a big deal sometimes. I really like to think I'm doing some good on this planet. I really like to think that I can actually cook cookies. Okay. But once when I was trying to understand my place in the world, I had this image of my daughter at the time was about four years old and my mother is a kitchen mom. And so whenever you left your kids with grandma, you could always find them in the kitchen doing something. And in this scenario, very common scenario, you come in and the child is on the countertop and the mixer's out and there's flour and cookie dough all over the place. And they're singing songs and having a blast and and making a mess. And in this certain scenario, I came in to get my daughter and my mom shooed me because they weren't done yet. And my daughter's back was to me. And as soon as my daughter saw me, she'd want me, of course, not grandma, but grandma's all go away. And 10, 20 minutes later, we're in the living room and my daughter's got this big old plate of cookies in her hands. And grandma says, look what Serena made. And of course, my obnoxious teenage little brother's there. And he says, she didn't make those. I saw the whole thing. All she did was make a mess. And we all smack him and throw him off the front porch. Okay. Because he's ruining the moment. Now, why did grandma lie about the cookies? Why did grandma say that the little girl made the cookies? Now, I remember when I was first pondering this, I was saying to God, yeah, I'm like grandma. And my clients come in and like the little girl on the countertop and they make a mess. And he's all, no, no, stop. Just stop right there. I'm all, why? He says, no, you're the little girl on the countertop. I'm all, no, 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 no. He said, I, I says, so that means all I do is make a mess. He's all, well, you do it with enthusiasm. I mean, I'll give you that. Like you love to scoop the flour and you eat half the chocolate chips while we're trying to make them. And when you pour a cup of salt instead of a cup of sugar in while you're not looking, you have to scoop that salt out and make it the right amount and put the right of this. And you love to push the little blender thing when it's only flour in there. So it poofs all over the place. And we have to clean that up too. I said, but how come the cookies turn out so good every time? How come the work I do with clients and with the organization is so good? all the time is all because I'm there to make it turn out good, but you can have the credit sometimes. Mothers, you're the little girl on the countertop. When you raise kids, you don't know what you're doing and that's okay. You're in over your head and that's okay. You're going to do it wrong and that's okay. What does the little girl have to bring in order to be worthy to make cookies with grandma? If you so desire, you are called to the work. Ladies, we were all mis 
mothered by our mothers. We were all misfathered by our fathers. And look how awesome you turned out. Let the atonement do its job and compensate for your weaknesses. Let yourself be at peace knowing that you are a daughter of God and that you are connected to God and his atonement actually works. Show that you are okay with the atonement covering for your mistakes. I have made a mistake as a mother, but I'm at peace with it because the atonement will take care of it if you, my child, will let yourself recover from it, okay? Let God prevail means let God prevail, not let mother prevail. I hope this is helpful for you. I'm open to questions. Thank you so very much, Maurice. I I appreciate what you've shared today. I always do. And I know lots of these moms would say the same thing. And just one thing that I that stood out to me was a little bit earlier when you mentioned just basically asking Heavenly Father, would it be okay if I see, you know, they that be with us or with me? And just, I just, I hope you all felt just kind of this stirring that, you know, that's a true statement. And I just, I appreciated you bringing that forward in that way. Also, if you just want to add, hey, I heard this. I loved this. This was something that I took away. Go ahead and throw that in the chat as well. So, all right, Karen, did you have anything before I share just a couple of items? Just gratitude for the spirit that you brought, Maurice, and the truth that you testified of. And off of what you said, BJ, I think, Maurice, you pointing out that the, you know, there's more that be with us then be with them and that God is willing to show us who those people are. And oftentimes we assume they're on the other side of the veil, which they are helping us, but there's so many here, you know, just wanting to help, needing help, willing to ask for help, recognizing that isolation isn't the safe place to be. So that would be my second T. I would be the second or the third voice here, just saying that's the thing I've gained. It's such a strong testimony of when you allowed me to help. I was so isolated and so terrified to reach out to other moms to see how they were doing. And your assignment to me was just call them on the phone and ask them how they are doing and how we are doing. And I was so full of shame and thought I was such a terrible example of a mother. Why would I call them? But because I'd asked the help and that was what we settled on that I was capable of. All right, I guess I can't say no. But it has just opened up this amazing truth. There is more that be with us than be with them. And when we link arms and fight darkness by linking arms and not letting the adversary isolate us, miracles happen. So that's all I have. Thanks, BJ. Thank you for adding that, Karen. So just we're we're really excited for that. And Luann is going to also put that in the chat. Luann is our stay by the tree coordinator and she does so much behind the scenes to help this to be a a smooth, successful um, webinar. So we sure appreciate her. And just so please know that that's coming up and feel free to extend that invite to anyone else. Sometimes those are great ones to pass along to different leaders or family members as well. And then also next week is our last of the uh, Stay by the Tree series, where we'll be having Samuel Brown is going to come and present to us. And he's going to be talking about how we can channel our mama bear energy with warrior chemistry backed up by scripture. So Samuel Brown is a, a former bishop, and he watched several of his young men really in a struggle and a fight with just the trap of pornography. And he watched several of them participate in the Sons of Helaman program and learn about this warrior chemistry as, along with several other things. And he saw some just amazing changes happen. And he was like, what is this? And so anyway, now he is a Sons of Helaman clinician along with he does a lot of other things, but we're excited to have him come. We were able to visit with him yesterday and hear a little bit about his story. So we'd love you to have you join us next week for the last of the of our webinar series. And then also just a reminder, two weeks from today, we'll start the, the free mom power training that you'll hear lots of these different principles and tools and spiritual truths that some of them that we've talked about today but you'll see them in there and how you'll just love those. And so anyway, just feel free to sign up for that at mompowertraining.org as well. So with that, I think we'll just go right into our Q&A, Maurice. And we do have several questions that 
are in the chat and just other things that have been noticed. One of them, I think you already talked about one of the first ones we got. And then if you send something to me directly, just know that I won't share your name with it. I won't share your name probably anyway, even if it's just in the, the chat here. So let me just ask this first one, Maurice. And then I know that that last story about the cookies might've answered a lot of this. How can I feel like the mistakes of my children are not my fault when I know for sure that some of my shortcomings have contributed to their choices or struggles. You want to add any more to that? Yeah. So let's do some God empathy for a second. Let's put ourselves in his shoes, maybe even. And so when he designs this parent-child relationship dynamic, what does he really, if the, if the goal is for each individual to build a relationship with God, to learn the true principles, to exercise them, to gain wisdom, to grow, to become more powerful, where in that process is it included like and we've got to like get the kid alive like to the point where they can function their own and at what age do i want these why would he send 19 year old boys to do it okay are they not the epitome of the opposite of wisdom and intelligence and maturity i started realizing after studying that and then studying moses going into egypt and david going into goliath and then joseph smith was a punk kid i I, in my obnoxious, youthful communication style with God, I finished reading those stories and I says, I'm starting to see a pattern here. And God says, oh, really? Good. What pattern do you see? I says, I see that you're a show off because you always pick people who have no clue what they're doing to pull off your miracles. He's you caught me. You got me. You figured out my secret sauce, my secret recipe. If you want to prove that the gospel is true, you have to use 19-year-old missionaries to teach it. Otherwise, people will think it's the wisdom and the maturity of the missionary that converted them, not the spirit. All right. So how do we pull off miracles in raising new spirits? You give them to people who have no clue what they're doing. Raise your hand. If you are a mother who feels like you have no clue what you're doing and you're pretty dang sure you're getting it wrong all the time, blah, blah, blah. How's God supposed to do miracles with your kids if you're perfect all the time? So you have discovered that you are flawed and there is a chance that your child is repeating your flaws. We can get all scientific about it and say, is it genetic nature or nurture or nature? Is it their spirit? Blah, 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 blah. Let me save you some time. The amount of influence you have on controlling the outcome of your children is donut because uh, Laman and Lemuel, they sure have the experience of the Holy Ghost bringing it to their remembrance. Because if you look at your own development, the reason you are the way you are now is not because your parents made sure you turned out this way. The reason you are the way you are now is because you've had a series of important revelations along the way. And some of them told you your mother was helpful. And some of them told you your should not do it the way your mom did it. Your kids need to be able to have the same discernment and you need to do it wrong sometimes. Or your kids might make the mistake of thinking you're a God and that'd be a bad thing. I hope that's helpful. Any follow-up questions on that one? Thank you, Maurice. That's wonderful. We do have five or six more questions that are um, coming from the chat. So here's the next question, Maurice. We, we Thank you for the questions. We all relate to these. I feel so taken for granted by my children. I sometimes feel so worn out with all the drudgery of raising my children and the almost constant battles with them to remember how privileged their lives are and how that they should be helping out in the house. I'd appreciate a bit of recognition and gratitude from my children and my husband. And I try to teach and, and you know, engender this in them. But still, I feel a bit defeated, overlooked, exhausted, and taken for granted at times. Have you got any advice or comfort on this to offer? Thanks for the question. I do, but you're not going to like it. You're going to like it at the end of doing it, but you're not going to like it at the beginning of doing it. Okay. Let's remember that our assignment being here is to learn how to be like Christ and to be godlike. We have been warned many times in our conference talks to watch out 
for the influence of culture. To be slightly harsh, this woman has been more influenced by the culture than by the doctrine. Because the idea that you're supposed to do it the way you're doing it, instead of the way God would do it. So let's look at how God does it. Does God repeatedly keep talking to people who don't appreciate him? Does he continue to provide them with lots of valuable resources when they ignore his existence and don't value his existence? What does God do when he's treated the way you've been treated? What does he do when people start to complain about what he gives, even though he's so generous? You'll notice I'm keeping saying the word, what does he do, not what does he say? Unfortunately, there's a cultural pattern that the main solution a woman's supposed to look for is more things to say, all right? God doesn't keep talking to people who ignore him. He withdraws the resources. Look at the Book of Mormon. Look at the pattern of what happens when people don't respect and value him. It becomes a drought of resources. Unfortunately, most people who still function primarily off of their animal brain, which sadly is adolescence and a percentage of men, okay, is that they are only motivated by a lack of resources or fear. And if he had less than he was expecting, he was depressed. Like, oh man, I was really hoping we would have 25 baptisms today. And we only got 20. I feel like a failure. I'm not a good Jesus. I'm not good at this Jesus thing. Someone should trade me in for a different Jesus. Ladies, it's vital that you use your doctrine and the words of the prophets for your psychology not American psychology, not Western psychology. Please break all assumptions that your culture gets it right. Challenge it test it because you should be able to walk around feeling like Jesus, having hope that maybe you're going to make a difference, but also having the sorrow and sadness that you can't make sure you're making a difference. I hope that helps. What's next, BJ? Thank you, Maurice. We're we're getting close to our time here. Maybe just a tiny bit of a follow-up from what you just shared. And if I can combine a couple of questions, just want you to know Maurice does come to join our awesome group of moms we call Warrior Mothers Who Know, the first Tuesday of every month. And so you can go to motherswhoknow.org, look under the support and training tab and just find that warrior mothers who know, and just join us, join us at 11 o'clock the first Tuesday of each month mountain time. And he does just the same thing, does a Q&A with all of us. And so anyway, I I feel bad we can't get to all the questions, but just a tiny bit of a follow-up. And then Karen, if you have any additional thoughts to add, but just just a tiny bit of a follow-up on that. Are you saying, Maurice, by not being the one that makes sure, are you saying we don't have consequences or expectations? And maybe how does that fit in with the sin be upon the parents or, you know, the heads of the parents, that idea. I don't know if we can combine those two, but sometimes we think that that means we just put our feet up and just say whatever, because we don't, we're not in charge of making sure, but how does that fit with expectations? If you study Satan's approach to humans, he loves the pendulum swing response. Okay. Either it's all your fault or it's none of your fault. He just loves that whole two extremes and nothing in the middle. The sin be ahead on the heads of the parents. If they don't teach It doesn't say anywhere the sin is on the heads of the parents if the kids turn out different from what you taught them. Otherwise, Sariah would be going to hell and so would Eve. So that's one of those pieces of doctrine. You have to look at the actual doctrine. The sin be on the heads of the parents if they don't at least try to teach it, just like Jesus did. Jesus taught it, but he didn't make sure people followed it. Now, reward consequence systems are fine as long as you let them be just a version of teaching that may or may not work, okay? You try it, just it's just another form of an attempted intervention. But as you study children and developing kids, those who are of a mind to be cooperative, you give them the slightest amount of encouragement. I'll give you a cookie if you clean the entire house. Okay, I'll clean the whole house for a cookie. Another person, if you don't take out the garbage, I'll beat you for a week. I'm not taking out the garbage. You can beat me for a week if you want. Okay, so like, does the parenting intervention cause people to learn? All right, we have learned from our, the way God teaches us is that repetition is likely to improve outcome, but repetition doesn't cause outcome. And so I have no problem with a mother who devises another attempt at teaching. And you try it. 
You might try a reward teaching style. You might try a quality seven page lecture strategy. You might try the corner of the kid in their bedroom. They can't go out until they're done technique. You might try a punishment technique. Go ahead and try lots of things. That's fine. You do need to try. That is your stewardship. That is your identity to try, but it's not your responsibility to make sure another spirit of God cooperates with your under 40-year-old parenting techniques. Yeah, I know. You'll be wise by the time you're a great-grandparent, but God blessed us with parenting when we were dumb, like missionaries, to prove his compensation capabilities through the atonement. So try like a 19-year-old missionary does, and maybe it'll turn out good, okay? Don't underestimate the power of the human spirit combined with the Holy Ghost and God's power. And just be happy to be the little girl on the countertop making cookies as you make a mess of it and they turn out good anyway. Or they turn out like Laman and Lemuel and you can be sad, which is appropriate, but that's on them, not you. Okay. Thank you, mothers. Thank you for caring. Thank you for investing your heart and soul. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you because the world really is a better place because of you. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, BJ, for your awesome assistance in this meeting. Oh, we were fed. I'm so grateful for the things that Maurice shared. Often Maurice will share, and I've heard him share for so many years, but he has a gift for having us consider just what we think we know, you know, what we think we know, and just kind of see it from a different angle. But he does it in a way that allows us to do that at our own understanding, instead of telling us, here's what's right, here's what's not, here's three things you can do, here's five things you don't do. You know, he's just very good at sharing kind of a parable way of teaching, which is so awesome because it allows us to just be met by the Spirit and taught what we are ready to hear. So wonderful. We are so grateful that you came today and I'm going to turn the time back over to you, BJ, but really we would love for you to join us in our warrior mothers or in our mom power training, or you're welcome to set up a free 30 minute meeting with me to just discuss kind of your next steps or some things that are going on at your house and some of the resources we have here at Life Changing Services. And just to know how do I link arms and have the courage to get out of isolation in such a scary place. So awesome. So BJ, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. I love that you pointed out those things. I did put the link for that warrior mothers who know in the chat. So just feel free to come and join us. And also Karen mentioned the, the mom power training that starts in two weeks, that free training. It really is free. There is a cost to have that provided. There's a big cost on the back end, but thanks to life-changing services and mothers who know, we just Love to be able to offer that to you and feel free to share that. You'll find any of those and also the opportunity to just visit with Karen if you have some questions on resources that might be helpful or things that a situation in your home that's feeling kind of heavy and big and you're not sure exactly how to approach it. She would love to visit with you. So all of those resources that we just mentioned are on motherswhoknow.org under the training and support tab. So you'll just see all of those. And if you ever want to have a question you want to just ask, you can always email us at motherswhoknow at lifechangingservices.org. All right, gals, thank you for sharing your time this morning. We sure appreciate you. We, we do have that Warrior Mothers Who Know group that meets today. So feel free to join us. Okay, moms, thanks for being here. We'll see you later, everybody. We'll hopefully see you next week with Sam Brown.